We'll be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. If you did not bring a Bible, there might be a black hardback and a seat underneath you, around you. You are more than welcome to grab one of those and turn with us. Luke chapter 12 is where we'll be. My name is Mike Skinner. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. We are glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. Last week we had some note cards out in the hallway and we uh, had some of you just write down ideas or questions or passages in the scripture um, that you might want to hear a sermon on. And so I went through them last week and one of the themes that kept coming up over and over again was worry or anxiety, okay? In fact, there was a couple note cards with just in all caps, big letter, worry. And at first I was a little worried. I didn't know if that was like a threat, if that was a... <laughs> Like a command, okay, like I should be worried about something, watching my back, and, and there were different, different kind of variations on that. How do I stop from worrying about loved ones, perhaps loved ones who don't know Christ, or loved ones who are making poor decisions in their life, or how do I not worry or be anxious about the future, uh, things of that nature. Now, if you know me very well, you know that worry and anxiety is something that I'm, I'm pretty familiar with. When I was, in fact, it's kind of how I became a Christian, how Christ found me. When I was in high school, I went through a kind of a whole host of anxiety problems. So uh, I am uniquely, I think, qualified to maybe talk about anxiety and to preach on the subject. I have a diagnosed panic disorder, which means um, for a while in my life, I mean, it's manageable right now, so I don't, I'm not sure you get cured or something like that, but it's, it's under control. But for a, a period of my life, I would um, just constantly go into these panic attacks over and over and over again, where your body would just kind of freak out. Uh, un, unnaturally, unreasonably, and, and for me, it would always end in passing out. I mean, my body would go into hyperdrive, stress mode, fight or flight, I'm about to die, until eventually it was like reset, okay, and it just kind of hit the kill switch, all right, and I fell down, woke up, and we kind of started it again, we started it over, um, to, the, to the point where I was diagnosed with what's called agoraphobia, uh, which is literally the fear of open spaces. What it means is, and this is a real thing, uh, you get this kind of like safe place in your life and you're afraid, too afraid to leave that place. So for me, it was like my house. I couldn't step outside of my house without having like a very severe panic attack. For two or three months of my life, I couldn't, I mean, literally couldn't take one step outside of my house. It sounds pretty extreme, but that's kind of what was going on in my life. And uh, I, I mean, I can remember very clearly thinking how weird it is that people go places that, like, people without medicine, right? I mean, I could leave the house heavily drugged, okay? Very heavily drugged. And I remember thinking, how odd is it that all these people just go everywhere they want to go with no medicine at all, right? I mean, they're so vulnerable to the world around them. Do they not understand the kind of danger they're in at all times? And so, so I thought this would be a good topic for us to maybe, maybe talk about this morning. And then kind of as a personal confession this morning, and this is something that I've been struggling with lately, uh, so this is something that, that kind of I got under control a few years ago, but, but if I'm honest, and I always want to be honest with you, the past few days have not been good for me in this respect, um, in, in, in regards to worrying and anxiety. Uh, I've got a surgery coming up on Tuesday where they're doing some dental work on me. Um, that, uh, if you, again, long story short, the last time I had dental surgery, it went very, very poorly for me. I'm already kind of a hypochondriac. Doctors call it being a baby, okay? <laughs> So, so these, these past few days have been, been kind of rough for me, and so this is part of, I think, my commitment to you as a church body is to always be honest and to always be able to model the fact that it's okay sometimes not to be okay, right? It's okay sometimes to struggle and to fall. Um, what's not okay is to stay there. What's not okay is to not seek to go forward and, and seek to, to search out God's word. Um, and, and to receive his spirit's help and to move forward. So today, um, we're lucky because in Luke 12, Jesus gives us this sermon on anxiety, on worry, on fear. And this seems to be kind of a cultural problem 
uh, at large in America. Lots of stats, lots of books have been written about it. The age of anxiety, the, the anxious America, okay? Um, they say they, being these associations, okay, of uh, 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 psychological, psychiatric associations, that 40 million people in America, 18 and over, have some sort of anxiety disorder. Um, there are different kinds of anxiety disorders. They say $42 billion a year is spent on health care related to anxiety, uh, related to worry, which actually makes up one-third of all of our health care costs. Um, one-third of it is on the worry that we feel, is on the anxiety that we feel about life, the fear that we have. Uh, as a consumer of that health product, right, I can tell you I put my fair share, I've invested my part in that, okay? I'm, I've, I'm invested into that number there, that $42 billion. Um, and so luckily in, in Luke 12, we get a sermon from Jesus uh, which addresses this topic. One of the things we always want to do at the church is go back to the Gospels, go back to Jesus. If he said something about it, we want to go to the source, right? We want to go straight to Jesus, see what he has uh, to tell us. And he gives us this very long, very magnificent sermon on, on uh, anxiety and worry. So Luke 12, if you'll read it with me, we'll pick it up in verse 22 and read from there. Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He just got interrupted uh, right before this by a guy asking him a question. He goes off on kind of a tangent about wealth and possessions. Don't worry, we're not going to read that part. And then he transitions back into anxiety um, and, and kind of fear and worry. So verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouses nor barns. So this is a reference to the story he just told about wealth, okay? He talks about people not only being wealthy, but being so wealthy that they buy and build big barns just to store the wealth that they can't use and, and enjoy at the time. He says the ravens, they don't, they don't do that, they don't work for their food, and they don't have these big places to style, um, to stockpile their wealth. Yet, he says, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, verse 25, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow, that neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father, he knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Verse 32, what a great verse here. Fear not, little flock, Jesus says, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the first thing I want you to, to see here in the sermon is three times, not just once, not just twice, but three times Jesus commands us not to be anxious. Not to worry, not to be afraid. This is not a suggestion by Jesus. This is not a, you might want to think about this way of living. This seems to be the call for Christians, for disciples, for kingdom people. They're called to a, we might call it a non-anxious lifestyle. We've talked about before, Christians are called to a non-violent lifestyle. Christians are called to a non-greedy lifestyle. Christians are called to a, a worshipful and a prayerful lifestyle. And Christians here 
then Luke 12 are also called to a, a non-anxious lifestyle. If you look in verse 22, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not um, his just good advice for you. He says, imperatively, you should not be doing this. Don't be anxious about your life. In verse 29, he says, Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. That do not, from the beginning of verse 29, carries on forward here. Do not be worried. It's a command. Do not worry. And then in verse, in verse 30, 31, it's in here again. Here we go. 30, help me out, somebody. 32? Yeah. Fear not. There we go. It was right in front of my eyes. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Okay, this is the third command here from Jesus. These are commands. Actually, that fear not command, don't be afraid, is the uh, most common command in the entire Bible. So if you take Old Testament and New Testament, add it all up, look at all the imperatives, all the commands, this is what you'll hear the most times, even more than love, love your neighbor, love the Lord. The most common command is don't be afraid. It's as if God knows the world's a kind of a scary place. You and I have a propensity to be afraid. And over and over and over and over again, he's trying to remind us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I think sometimes we don't always take the commands of Jesus seriously as maybe we should. I think sometimes we either ignore them or we take them kind of as suggestions, right? We kind of think we can kind of pick our own lifestyle. As long as we believe, as long as we've repented, put the kind of get a hell-free card in our back pocket. Um, and we kind of pass over, again, some imperatives by Jesus. As a kingdom person, if, if, if where you are in life is somebody who wants to follow Christ, says, you're my Lord, you're my king, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. This is... This is a kind of forceful thing when Jesus commands us something. When he says, don't do this. Don't think this way. Don't let this affect your life. There's a story told by one of my favorite authors. He was sitting in a waiting room with a buddy of his. And they had waited hours and hours and hours past the appointment. So kind of the whole waiting room was in the same situation. Everyone's real frustrated. Everyone's chewing out the receptionist. All those kinds of things. They're frustrated, but they're just kind of sitting there quietly trying to be good Christian people. Okay. Finally, the receptionist comes out and says... Uh, the doctor's ready to see you. Thank you so much for being patient. And his buddy, kind of, kind of snarky, retorts. He, he says back, don't thank him. He has to be patient. His Lord commands him to. It's kind of a different way to think about it, right? I mean, we, we kind of think about we'll try to do our best at certain things like this, right? I mean, we'll get, if we feel like it, we'll try to really work hard to do some of the things that Jesus commands us to. But there's this mindset that, that maybe we can get into where it's, it's, well, he told me to do this, right? I mean, he told me to be patient, so I'm going to be patient. I mean, this is not really... Something I'm weighing every day. Like, will I be patient? Will I not be patient? Will I be kind to people? Will I not be kind to people? This is just kind of what I have to do. Now, right, we would all rather obey out of joy and gladness, right? And obey because we understand why we've been commanded something. Just if you have kids, right, you'd rather them get while you tell them to go drink water or to go to bed at this time period. But if they don't get it, you'd still rather them obey, right? Just because they told you to. You'd rather than go, well, he told me to do that, so I'm going to trust that there's a reason behind this, and I'm going to do that. Jesus here commands us. He calls us to this, this non-anxious lifestyle. Here's what I want you to notice, though, about this um, non-anxious lifestyle. I don't think Jesus is saying, you won't have a reason to be anxious. I don't think he's saying, you won't be anxious, you won't worry, you won't fear, because if you follow me, there won't be anything to be anxious about, or won't be anything to fear, or won't be anything to be worried about. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll baptize the words of Jesus with kind of the American dream, with kind of our hopes for a very successful, very 
a comfortable, very secure lifestyle. And, and we've got to be careful not to do that when we, when we read Jesus talking. He, he compares us to two different creatures, two different things in the animal kingdom, okay? Two different things out in the world. And says this is kind of the point of comparison, how you should be living in concern to worry, anxiety, and fear. The first one, he says, look at the ravens, look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap. They don't have these storehouses, they don't have these barns, and yet God still feeds them. He says, and God cares more about you than these birds, so you can trust him. You can be okay with this. Now, you might read by this, but let me let you in on the mind of someone with an anxiety disorder reading this. Okay, different perspective here. I'm reading this text, and I'm going, okay, that's great, but I bet there are birds that starve. Right, I mean, just objectively, just realistically, I bet you... There are ravens that drop from the sky because they've starved to death. Because God has not um, apparently feeded them, fed them very well, right? I mean, this, there's, there's ravens where bad things happen to them. This is not the most secure animal in the animal kingdom, <laughs> right? If I'm drawing the comparison, I'd much rather go for something else, okay? Like a lion or something like that. Even then, I mean, I don't know where you go. The animal kingdom is this kind of dangerous, dangerous place. There's no secure, comfortable, safe lifestyle out in the wild. In comparison to the raven says, you should, you should be like that. But I'm looking at the ravens going, that's not a problem-free life. That's not a secure life. That's not a life of wealth and luxury and comfort where everything always goes my way. He makes it even clearer, I think, with his second comparison. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. I tell you, though, even the greatest king in the Old Testament, Solomon, was never in that much glory. He says, if God so close the grass, but then watch what comes after it. Watch what happens to the grass which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Okay, again, I don't like the comparison there, all right? I would rather go with a longer-lasting comparison, okay? Something maybe doesn't burn tomorrow. It's not necessarily that the raven and the lilies have no problems or will never meet their end. I think the point of comparison here is that they don't care about it. They're not consumed in worry over it. They don't spend their days wondering what will happen to them. Wondering what will come to them in the future. I think Jesus here in calling us to a non-anxious lifestyle is not calling us to a problem-free life, but to a carefree life. Not a life where things will always go the way that we would desire them to go, but a life where perhaps we can live without being consumed in worry and anxiety about what may or may not go right or wrong for us. A carefree life. Which is not to say a careless life, a life where we aren't responsible and aren't engaging and aren't doing what we need to do. Simply a life where we are able to live in the moment. You see, the thing about ravens and animals in general, and I'm guessing flowers, okay, they're kind of inanimate, so it's harder to, to make the comparison there, is it seems like they just kind of take life as it comes. I mean, I don't know if you ever looked at an animal or looked at a dog, or maybe like particularly at a stressed out point in your life, and we're just like, man, I would trade places with you in an instant, right? <laughs> your biggest worry is if I'll let you outside as soon as you need to go outside, right? If there's food out there. I mean, you've got life made. You just lay, you nap all the time, okay? I do that, and I get in trouble. People get mad at me. You just, you just got it made. They, they don't worry. They just take life as it comes. They know what it means to be a creature, to have limitations, to just enjoy the moment in front of them. I think as Christians, one of the things you and I need to learn how to do is learn to realize that we're, we're creatures. Learn to realize that there are limitations on our life that we perhaps don't get to set in place. 
But instead of worrying about that, being able to kind of take that in stride. Jesus gives us two reasons here in the sermon why we shouldn't have these anxieties or worries or fears. The first one, um, if you look in verse 25, Jesus says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? If you're not able to do such a small thing like that, why are you anxious about all these other things? The first reason Jesus gives is that oftentimes you and I overestimate our power. We overestimate how much we can really influence in the world, how much we can really influence the situations in our life, and particularly how much worrying will be helpful for us, will be effective for us. Again, I think the skill of being able to live like a creature and just know that, that perhaps we don't get to control every aspect of our life. I think if we were to think about it, a lot of the control we feel like we have in our lives are illusions. I mean, there's so much about our lives that we don't get to pick. There's so much about our lives that even if you work really hard for a certain outcome, it's very possible another outcome might come. You can eat all the broccoli in your life and you might get the cancer diagnosis. I mean, you can hit the treadmill every day and you might have a heart attack. You didn't get to choose where you were born. You didn't get to choose the schools you were in, the, the context, the culture that you grew up in. There's so much of our life beyond us. But, but sometimes we live under this illusion that we get to control every circumstance of our life. And this kind of sense of control and power creates anxiety in us when our life doesn't go the way we think it should go, when, when there are goals and hopes in front of us. But creatures, ravens, birds, they just kind of take life as it is. They understand that they're creatures. They understand to enjoy the blessings that are right there in front of them. I think this is one of the reasons why I think it can be so beautiful when Christians interact with people with special needs, with disabilities. It's because what happens is we feel pity for them. Say for a person with Down syndrome or autism, we feel pity that they are missing out on things that we enjoy about life, things that we think are intrinsic to being human, being able to think in certain ways, being able to do and accomplish certain things. But then we meet them. When our lives actually rub up against them, there's this conflict, there's this collision between our pity for them and the joy that they live with, and the way that they're able to worship, the way that they're able to receive God's love, the way that they're able to simply trust God as a father and enjoy the blessings he's chosen to give them. There's these lessons that we, we perhaps can learn from them. Now, no statistics are, are accurate, okay? I don't know if you've, right, 10 out of every, like, 12 statistics are made up. I don't know if you've ever heard that joke, right? I mean, statistics mean really, at the end of the day, nothing, particularly when you're listening to sermons. In fact, there's just a big article came out this week talking about why pastors use bad statistics. It's because we don't research them, right? Here's, let me tell you the research that I put into 40 million people suffering anxiety. Google, click, website, there it is, right? I didn't back it up. I didn't go look at the sources. I didn't crushed the numbers myself. It came from a website about anxiety disorders. Same with the 42 billion. Now, we all have reasons to believe it's probably a high number, right? But we don't know the exact statistics. Don't go bet money on that. Don't run with that. But I'm going to give you a statistic that works, I think, 100% of the time, okay? I think this is the, the most accurate statistic I could ever give you. And here's what I want you to do for it. I want you to look to your left. Look at the person on your left. Long enough so they feel awkward. Okay, now look to the person on your right. Kind of look at yourself. Here's the statistic. Three out of every three people will die at least once in their lifetime. The person on your left, the person on your right, and you. 
Now, I say at least once because I think you have to throw in this matrix or inception clause, okay, that you don't always know everything that's happening. Lazarus, right? He comes back from the dead. He ends up dying twice. He dies again. He's not still around. So, so there's this, kind of this aspect of you never know, but, but this is coming for all of us, right? In so many ways in our culture, we try to push death out to the outside so that we don't think about it. When we kind of pretend that we can get out of life alive. The truth is, though, I mean, if we're really honest about it, all of us are placed as creatures in a life, in a world that we didn't choose, with parameters that we didn't choose, and we are all going to die. I mean, it always surprises me when people get so surprised by death. I mean, I get, I get the pain of death. I really do, and I, and I understand what it means to have someone close to you die, and how that can shake up your entire world. What I don't get, and maybe this is just me, me, me being young and arrogant, but I don't get how someone can be 50 or 60 or 70 years old and still be so surprised by death. As if they'd never thought about that that was an option before. As if they'd never thought about what life might be like if a loved one died or if they had died themselves. I mean, we're just, we're, none of us are getting out of this alive. I mean, we're, we're all, at the end of the day, no matter how comfortable or secure or rich our lives are, we're all going to die eventually. There's this, this aspect to living where we kind of surrender and say we're creatures. And, and, and our role is just to enjoy the part of the story that we've been given. And not to worry and, and wonder what all we can do. Um, I don't think maybe we have as much control as sometimes we, we think. I don't think also our, our worry does much good, right? I mean, this is kind of what Jesus is getting at. You can worry all you want about it, but it really doesn't do much ever to help the situation. In fact, I think the science would say that the more you worry, you're actually decreasing your lifespan. I mean, you're taking years off the more anxious and worried and afraid you are about situations. It's, it's not a helpful response to, to bad situations. Here's the last thing I'll say. I think the first reason Jesus gives we overestimate our power. I think sometimes you and I overestimate our ability to name our blessings. To really understand what's a blessing or not a blessing. And maybe this is just, just me. Maybe this is just my experience. I don't always know what's best for me. And if I look back throughout my life, the different things that have happened to me and that I've experienced and gone through that have brought me the most joy in the end and have brought me the closest to God, I probably would not have chosen to experience if I had the option. If someone comes to 15-year-old Mike says, would you like to continue being this happy little boy, or would you like to go through two or three years of deep depression and anxiety and agoraphobia and all those kind of things? Um, let me think about it, weigh the pros and cons, let me talk to my parents. I think I'm going to go without it, right? I mean, I think I'm going to go with the, the, the comfortable life. I think I'll just keep on living as a kid. I think we'll do that route. Well, you, you're going to get really close to God because of that. You're going to become a Christian as that. Well, we'll try to find another route, okay? We'll roll the dice on it, see what we can do, see if we can find a good church, okay? But, but we're going we're gonna to go a different way with this. I don't think sometimes you and I are, are all that adept at knowing what's best for us. I think in the end, if we were able to get everything that we were so worried about, I'm not, I'm not convinced it would be good for us. I mean, I'm just not convinced we're that smart that we should have that much control. And I'm a little contrarian, okay? So, so sometimes people say things, I'm just trying to kind of look for the, the, the problem with that, the flaw in that. And, and every time I hear someone talk about blessings, this is kind of what I think about. Is what you said is a blessing, is that really a blessing? Is that what scripture says are blessings? Objectively in your life, is that a blessing for you, really? Or does it just make you comfortable? Which in the end might be a curse. Might keep you away from God. Might keep you away from faith. So here's one I hear a lot. 
we are blessed to live in a country where we are free to worship. I get the sentiment. I understand it. But then there's that, that voice in my head that goes, really? Objectively, American Christianity has been this failed experiment. Because there's no pressure on us. There's no risk involved. There's no cost involved to be a Christian. Objectively, if you look at other nations where you're not free to worship, those people are much closer to God, have much stronger faith, do much more for the kingdom, and are much more blessed. I wonder if sometimes the blessings that we identify could in fact be things that actually enslave us. We like them so much because they they make our life easier. But sometimes the easy things keep us out from from God's best things, from, from God's blessings on our life. Jesus says, you overestimate your power. You can't add a single single lifespan, single addition to your life here. Why, why are you spending so much time worrying about these other things? At a certain period in your life, you've got to sit back and say, I'm a creature. I belong to a good father, and I'll be, I'll be taken care of. We overestimate our power. The second reason Jesus gives here, if you look in verse 32, which is such a, a beautiful verse, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We overestimate our power, and then I think we underestimate God's character. We underestimate how good our Father is. We underestimate what He actually desires for us. If you're anything like me, sometimes you think, you kind of fall back in these patterns of thinking where God kind of doesn't want you to be really happy, right? Sees you kind of smiling, it's like, let's take that away from you. Kind of, this is this kind of like old grandfatherly figure who, who, who kind of wants to constrain you and put rules on your life so that you, you kind of don't have as much joy as you think you should have or as you hope that you might have. But that's not the picture you get in the scriptures. He says, it's his father's good pleasure. He desires it. He wants it. He gets an emotional high when he gets to give the kingdom, his reign and rule, all of his blessings and life to someone. It's what he wants. It's what he desires. I mean, you've got to hear this God does not reluctantly give you the kingdom. God does not make you earn the kingdom. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to twist his arm for him to give it to you. He doesn't give it to you out of obligation. Because you followed the loophole. And no matter what, he's stuck giving it to you. He wants to give it to you. At all times, this is his desire. This is his heart. It reminds me of, in Luke 11, if you flip one page over to your left, Jesus talking about prayer, and he gives two examples for why we should ask God for certain things in prayer. In verse 11, Luke 11, 11, he says, What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, instead of a fish, gives him a serpent? Or if his, his kid asks for an egg, gives him a, a scorpion? This is if, if you as evil people know how to give good <coughs> gifts to your kids, have this desire to see your kids happy, to give them things that you can give them, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? This is desire. You don't, have to, you don't have to manipulate God into wanting these things for you. He intrinsically does. This is His heart for you. The prodigal son, in, in just a few chapters in Luke, in Luke 15, the son goes off into the wayward country. He comes back. He's got this big speech prepared for the father. The father doesn't want to hear it. He runs out, throws a party. He says, everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. This is what I want for you. If you would just come and receive it. If you would just come and, and enjoy it. This is the father's good pleasure to give these things to you. The, the father always delights in giving us the kingdom. Now, the kingdom, though, is not 
always what we want. This is the problem, right? The kingdom, heaven coming to earth, God's reign and rule over our lives, his breath of love and sovereignty washing over us. This is what God desires for us. This is ultimately what we need and what we want. But sometimes you don't recognize its beauty. Sometimes we don't recognize its intrinsic kind of value. What's amazing here is, is how Jesus words this. He says, he's given you the kingdom. As if, as if the whole kingdom, everything that I have is, is yours. Just like the, the parable of the prodigal son. It would have been good news. I think we would have all taken the bargain if Jesus says, it's the Father's desire, will, it's his choice to let you in the kingdom. We would have been like, all right, score. Check it off. Or if he said, he'll give you a little part of the kingdom. I'll take a closet, let's do it. It's his, it's his good will, it's his desire to give you the kingdom. All the life that he's planning to bring to creation, all the rescue and redemption. This is what he desires at the core of his being to give to you. And with a father that good, we're, we're called to trust him. We're called to, we're called to take confidence in that. If we were to apply this maybe to my dental situation, okay? You might say this, that um, the kingdom, right? The kingdom is coming to earth as it's in heaven. One day, eventually the scriptures say, Earth and heaven will be recreated. The kingdom will be fully present. Everything that happens will be God's will, completely and fully. No pain, no sickness, no death, no tears. We'll have resurrected physical bodies. So, so in my dental situation, you might say this. It's God's good pleasure to give me a full set of teeth. No pain. No need to ever go in and get a root canal, or surgeries, or extractions, or bone grafts. And in fact, the text here actually puts us in the past tense. He's already given you the kingdom. It was his goodwill to give you the kingdom. My life as a Christian is wrapped up in Christ's life. As he brings the kingdom and lives in it. As he's resurrected and inaugurates the kingdom. This is a done deal. This is something I already possess. Kind of puts things into a little different perspective here. Why would I worry so much about something that is going to pass? Something that is temporal, when I know what I already have, when I know what's coming for me. It's, it's as if Bill Gates decides to give his son all of his estate, $76 billion, whatever it is, and his son starts spending sleepless nights because he lost a couple quarters. You say, what are you doing? This is neurotic. Forget the quarters. You've got billions of dollars. This has already been given to you. Why are you, why are you so concerned with these small things here in front of you? Jesus says, don't underestimate God's goodness. He's pleased to give you the kingdom. This is a kingdom that doesn't end. This is a kingdom that can't be destroyed. We have anxiety because we're worried about the terrorists and we're worried about the economy failing and we're worried about our health. But the kingdom that we are inheriting can't be bound by terrorists and the economy can't collapse from it and it will not end. There's a Lord that will never stop reigning. There's a place and a time where there will be no sickness where there will be no death, where there will be no pain. This has been what's given to us. Jesus says, so trust, to live carefree, to live without anxiety. And then Jesus says this. So he gives us two reasons why we should live anxious free. He says, one, you overestimate your power. Two, you underestimate God's goodness over your life to make sure you have what you need. And in fact, what you ultimately, eternally will need. And then three, Jesus says this. He gives us something else to do, which I think is brilliant. I think this is so good. If you're anything like me, Sometimes you don't just need to be told not to do things. You need to replace it with something else. Right? I mean, you need to, to channel that negative energy into something positive. You need to kind of distract yourself with something else. Sometimes it takes more than just knowledge to fix problems. Have you ever been there? 
So I'm, I'm up late at night, sleepless, worried about the surgery. Logically, I know that there's not much I can do to control it, right? And I know for sure that being miserable about it all night is not going to help at all the surgery. But that doesn't really stop it, right? I'm still just as miserable. Still just as worried. And I know that God is good beyond my wildest imaginations, the triune God. I know because the cross proves to me that God will go to the most extreme, extreme actions to save me and redeem me. Paul would say, if he gave his life for you, what's he going to withhold from you? I mean, what doubt do you have about the love and relentless pursuit that he will chase after you with? But that doesn't always, doesn't always help the worry. What can, though, is, is redirecting that energy, is, is replacing it with something else. So Jesus does this here. He says, what you need to do, he says, instead of seeking after these things like the other nations do, like the pagans do, he says, instead, in verse 31, seek the kingdom, seek his kingdom. Work, be focused, be single-handedly um, comprised, have your life be centered around your involvement in bringing heaven to earth, your involvement in making sure the will of God is accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Use your resources, use your time, use your energy to see that God's will is accomplished. To see that, that his beauty invades a fallen and broken world. Live in the kingdom, be focused on that, and the more you're focused on that, the less these other things will, will start to bother you. I mean, therapist, I can save you some money here, Okay. You don't even have to go to therapy for this. I can just tell you what they can tell you. If you're depressed or anxious, volunteering does amazing things. Getting out into the world, helping somebody else, getting to learn other people's problems, getting some perspective, getting a feeling like you've done something to make the world a little bit of a better place. Look, if, if you stay at home in the dark all day, you're going to feel a little bit miserable. Even a, even a healthy person is going to feel a little bit miserable. But if you get out, and you get to know people, get to pray for people, get to help people. There's something life-giving about that. When you understand that, that maybe there's not too much you can do to control what may or may not come your way, and, and that you can trust in your, your Father's goodness, you're freed up to focus your life on things that, that really matter. One of the things I think that, um, to go back to, to God's goodness here, His desire to give us the kingdom, that's so important to us, is this aspect of doing due diligence. For me, when I'm anxious or worried, there's always this, this fear that I haven't done all that I should have done, right, to take care of the situation. Maybe there's something I haven't thought about, something I haven't researched on WebMD, right, that if I had just researched that, I'd have been fine in the post-op, right? I mean, it all would have worked together. So, so I handpicked my surgeon, okay, um, went in, he had a little job interview. He might not have known it, all right, but it was definitely an interview. I would have been more than fine taking my business elsewhere, I know for him, the kind of surgery that we'll be doing on Tuesday morning is nothing. World-renowned surgeon, he does these things perfectly without thinking about it. And I also know that things can go wrong. He might make a mistake. It just might not be what he expected. It might go wrong. That's a, that's a possibility. A very small one, I acknowledge, but a possibility. But there's something about knowing that I've got the best working on it that makes me a little bit more okay with it, with it going wrong, right? I mean, if it goes wrong, it's not like I should have done something else. I did what I should have done. I did all that I could do. It was out of my hands at that point. I went with the best. He did his best. There's not much more you could ask of anyone else. 
there's this aspect of knowing how good God is and, and how much wiser and more powerful than he is, that he is over you, where, where Christians have this kind of always covered, this due diligence clause, right? Where we can go to sleep knowing that there's, there's not something we're missing. There's not something that's going to happen to us because we weren't being watched out for, because we weren't being cared for. Might bad things come our way, bad things might come our way. But it, it won't be because we should have done something else or we should have trusted in someone else. It'll be because sometimes in a fallen world, these things happen. But we, we can trust. We can know that we're being taken care of. And we have this new priority to seek the kingdom, to make that our, our focus, our, our one intention, our one purpose, our one mission in, in our life. And Jesus, he talks about this treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The more we, we treasure the kingdom, the less we have to fear that it will be taken away from us because the kingdom is everlasting. The kingdom, the kingdom can't be bombed. The kingdom can't be robbed. The kingdom can't be rusted away. The kingdom lasts eternally. I think we've proven this. The more you have, the more you have to be afraid that it will be taken away from you. If all you have is a nice car, you have one thing to worry about. Don't back up in anything. Don't let anyone rob you. Just do your hubcaps. Bird poop. Or whatever it might be. But then you add a nice house, and there's a whole host of other things to start worrying about. And you add kids, and boy, there's some things to worry about. The more treasure you have, the more treasure there is to keep accounted for, to hold on to, to be anxious about. Jesus says, the more, though, that you can put your treasure in the right places, the more you can put your treasure in what God is doing in the world, and his plan of redemption, and the future that's coming, the less you have to hold on to, the less you have to stay up at night, Thus, you have to, to worry and to be anxious about. Jesus, he calls us to this, this non-anxious lifestyle. This is the kingdom way. I don't think Jesus expects perfection of us. At least I hope not. I'm not there. I don't think he, this is something where we can snap our fingers and then tomorrow have no anxiety, no fear, no worry. But I do think this is something that as kingdom people we should be moving towards. We should be moving in this direction. We should be trying to let go of our anxieties, let go of our fears, let go of our worries. Can I end with, with just maybe a couple tips here? A couple, couple, couple field notes from out there in the, in the field, in the darkness. Here's the first thing I would say. Um, get medical help if you need it. Does that make sense? I think we have to say that as Christians. With some of the baggage in, in the past with churches and Christianity. There's, there's nothing wrong with seeing a psychiatrist. If you need a referral, I can give you one. There's nothing wrong with seeing a therapist. Again, I can get you some names. Your pastor's a little bit crazy. You just got to be okay with that. Okay? <laughs> These are gifts from God. These are ways that God has blessed us. There's, there's no shame in doing that. There's no shame in, in being on medication and getting help, things like that. Um, the other thing I would say is, is you've got to learn, I think, to control your thought life. So many times we let ourselves be spoken to instead of speaking to ourselves. Does that make sense? We don't, have, we don't ever stop the narrative in our minds. We let it just keep going. Instead of speaking to it, speaking truth to it. Saying, actually, that's a lie right there. I know better than that. And I'm going to push back on that. I'm going to, I'm going to push back towards that. Um, one of the things, we, we've got this little cute phrase, what would Jesus do? I mean, what would Jesus think in a situation? What would Jesus think about that, that problem in the future? What would Jesus think about that concern of ours? Now, it doesn't always work. Okay, last night, I'm all concerned and worried. I'm like, what would Jesus think? I'm like, he'd probably think you're a baby. You grow up. I'm like, all right, next strategy. Let's move on. What else do we have in the toolbox? What would Jesus think about this? 
what, what's God's desire here? What, what could God do out of the situation? Even if it goes bad, even if it's already gone bad, what's he, what's he desiring to bring out of it? This is what Jesus does in the Gospels. He shows up in bad situations and says, let's find the kingdom here. Let's find, let's find a good purpose out of this evil that's come on you. What, what, how can your capacity to trust, how can your capacity to love grow out of this situation? How can kingdom good come out of perhaps fallen evil? And, and you've got to, again, I think be intentional, right? You've got to, if this is something that, 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 that kind of you're enslaved in, if this is something that you struggle with, you've got to look through your life and see if you're intentionally putting yourselves in situations, around people, in places that make you anxious, worried, and afraid. Jesus' command to you is don't do that. Which might mean turn off the news. If I had to guess, a lot of the news we watch, its sole purpose is to make you afraid. To make you anxious. To make you nervous. To think not only are the terrorists out to get you, but even the other political parties out to get you. I mean, the, the whole world's kind of bearing down in on you. There are better things to do with your time. There are better people to be around than the people that, that feed your anxiety and worries and fears. I'm not saying that you have to not know what's going on in the world. You can do what I do, which is watch the parody comedy shows, okay? Then you get to know what the news is and make fun of everyone who's worried about it all at the same time. That's the best of all the words. But you've got to seek the help that you need. You've got to be intentional about your life. This is a commandment from Jesus. And this is the invitation, right? I mean, how, how foolish would we be to have this on the table for us and go, you know what, I'll just suffer in misery and anxiety for the rest of my life. It's not say, Jesus promised me that I could find freedom from this, so let me go find it. Let me go pursue this in whatever way that looks in my life. So, so we'll end with this, maybe a couple questions. Think about what is it in your life you're worried about, that you're anxious about, that you're afraid of. Maybe one thing, maybe a couple things. And think about what is it keeping you from giving that up? What is it about that? What's behind it? What's that treasure that you can't open your hand up to? That's got your heart invested in there. Maybe it's just that you're, you've overestimated your power. Or the ability of your worrying to fix the situation. Maybe it's you're underestimating God's goodness here in the situation. Maybe both of those are true and you know it, but you just can't do it. Maybe maybe there's some ways for you to for you to refocus your energy and to get a little more kingdom focused. Would this morning would you just, would would we open up would we open up our hands to those things that we're anxious about? Would I? I mean, this is a challenge. This is what I'm seeking after. We learn to trust. We learn to live freely. We learn to live in joy. We learn to live as kingdom people. We live in an age of anxiety, but we're called to follow the Lord of, of non-anxiety. We're called to follow the Lord who, who has called us and have no worries, no fears, to live carefree lives. Not problem-free, but carefree. Because we've got a good Father who watches over us. We've already been given the kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, it, just doesn't, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, the American dream is kind of pale in comparison. All the security, wealth, money that you could have right now, it's, it's not going to add up. It's not going to compare. 
Might we trust, might we walk in freedom, might we enjoy the blessings that God has available to us. Would you pray with me?